up, mi gente? You are now listening to Lose Accents, an immigrant podcast for the press and bothered. Lose Accents brings to light our immigrant stories from the east to the west coast, black and brown. Aquí lo soltamos todo. We are here to celebrate the looseness of our tongues, our identities, and the love for our communities, no matter where we are in the world. Today, we are bringing the yer, yer. the dead ass, the fuck you talking about, malcriada realness, okay. to the building or the house. I know y'all don't got buildings out here because y'all earthquake culture can never. Right, because we got little suburbia. So, this is officially... The first interview of season two. Burr, 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 burr. You know what? I'm lit. Me this too. Is like, it's like bringing, like, Did bringing it back home. Did you just say season two, baby? Hello. Hello. I'm, ooh. And I am D'Angeli. And I am Undocubate. And thank you for being here, y'all. And I am so excited because I get to introduce mm. una de la mía personal. You know, Lorraine Avila is an Afro-Kiskeyana writer, storyteller, and author of Malcriadas and Other Stories. A book, and this is my own review, y'all. Mm. A book that documents the stories that, as Dominicans, we have been so afraid to write and discuss. From migration to trauma to love and heartbreak, I'm so excited to introduce a sister so down and open to break the silence passed down to us for so many generations. So, Lorraine, girl, what's up? What's up? Yes. Oh, my God, we're so excited. How you doing, baby girl? I'm doing great. I'm, like, so happy to be here with y'all. Um, Danielle, thank you for that intro. I feel the same <laughs> way, girl. I feel like you're a sister friend already, and, like, it's crazy. We, like, we connected instantly, so I feel the mm. same way. Um, and Ernesto, same. So I'm doing good. Uh, this is, you know, can I just say this is, like, an incredible moment before, because for, like, the first season of our show, Danjeli has, like, look, I'm here to create space. I want to bring my people on the show. I want to continue to open this up. And so it's so special to see two beautiful, amazing, talented um, Morenitas del Alma, like here on the show, like so. Thank you so much for coming and joining us, especially like. And I think I have to say this, Danjeli, this is like an exclusive. Hello, we are getting an exclusive first interview for your show. Excuse me, for your book. Is that right? Yeah, that's Ooh. right. I'm it solid. It, solid. The, you know, at the time that we're recording the podcast, it hasn't even been released yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So, hello, y'all. Because you know, you're out here. NPR, what's up? Right. <laughs> Latino USA, where you at? Let me get let me get my drink ready. My drink. So we tend to ask this often, right? Whenever we have a guest, we always ask, "Girl, who you be? Who you be, baby?" Well, I be uh, Dominicana from the Bronx, um, a malcriada. Uh, and I'm an educator and a teacher, and I'm now owning the fact that I'm a whole ass author. Mm. So Girl. I'm walking Published. into that. Okay, what's up? Okay, and how have you been navigating that? Like to say I am a whole ass author. It's hard, man, because uh, it's it's hard to even call yourself a writer. So I mean, yes. I've been navigating it through. Feeling like, yo, there's people I love and respect who have given me such great feedback who I know will not be lying to me, mm-hmm. like, on some, like, friendship. Like, folks who, like, I don't even have a relationship. And I'm like, yo, I love you. Mm. But here you are, like, telling me that these are stories that are, are supposed to be told and thank you and all this good stuff. So it really does help to have a community and folks out there who just, like, 
are there to affirm you. Mm-hmm. Personally, um, I've just gotten to the point where I'm just like random ass folks who who like random ass folks be walking into their light. So why can't I? I'm oh, just like, I listen. I'm in that space listen. right now. <laughs> listen, That's true though. <laughs> this is season two for y'all. You know what I'm saying? It's like walking into your light. For mm-hmm. real. And and finally feeling comfortable with shining right. bright, right? Mm. Without feeling like you're not meant to be there. Mm-hmm. That's like, I'm, I'm also entering that season of my life where I'm like, you know what? I'm doing the shits and I deserve to be seen and recognized. And mm-hmm. like, I deserve to recognize myself for it as right. well. Yeah. You know? So right. let's talk about how we met, right? All right. Because this is beautiful, yeah. right? I had been following Lorraine for a while. And I just feel like I... We were kind of like on the same like vibe because mm-hmm. I don't know when we started following each other and when we started talking, but somehow the the new year came in. I had planned to like chop off my hair. Um, I never went through with it because I was like, let me take some time to, you know, I don't know. I just think I, about it. Can exactly. I, can I interject here and say that I must have had like, I don't know how many hours of counseling on this to see if she could get her haircut and then. <laughs> No paso. Exactly. Like, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I even had a date because I, I was flying into New York and I wanted my be- my, my best friends, um, Alejandro and Vanessa, to, like, do it for me. I, f- I felt like it was right. going to be so powerful. And then when I was there, I was like, you know what, y'all? <laughs> Sorry. She had styles. Listen, I was really looking up, like, what kind of, you know, like, where I was going to go get a fix, you know. <laughs> but I ended up not doing it. And then, like, a month later, you post a picture of yourself with your hair, like, completely off. And I think mm. you wrote something along, in, like, in your stories about, like, you know, just coming into your truth and your light and just, like, doing this. And, like, your parents were the one that cut your hair for you. Mm-hmm. So I felt, I hit you up, I remember, and I was mm-hmm. like, girl, we're on the same vibe. Like, this is exactly what I also, like, wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then you you had, I think you were, you were speaking about, like, writing as well. Mm-hmm. And how you were just going to own the fact that you were, you... You know, you're a storyteller. And I saw that because at the same time, I was also working on my chapbook. Mm. So wow. it just felt like we were like in like in sync. On yeah. sync, in sync. I'm still an immigrant. You Baby, know what? We, I do this a lot. We're going to have a whole ass I session on the show. In sync, on sync? It's no, in sync. In sync, Listen, baby. listen. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then we actually met a few months later. Because actually, and that's if you didn't know, she was flying into LA mm-hmm. to do a segment for Jubilee Media. Oh, mm-hmm. so you remember wow. when Jubilee Media reached out to us and we weren't able to make it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Lorraine, you did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did that's it. so dope. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, "Girl, like I got you." We got we hopped on a call and we spoke about it about the experience. And next thing you know, she's like in my house. I wasn't even home. Yeah, she was not. Y'all. I was not home, and I was just like, "Just my roommates will Yo, be there." Honestly, I feel like when you meet good people, you just know. Like mm-hmm. that's why I'm like. It's hard, this conversation around social media. I'm like, social media or not real life, when you meet good people, you just know. Mm-hmm. Danielle literally was like, yo, just knock on my door at 6 a.m. when I arrived and tell my roommate to open the door, and that's it. And, and like, I was sleeping on her bed. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even, since you don't never see me in real life, you know what I'm saying? So, right. like, when you meet good people, like, who are supposed to be in your life, like, it just don't matter. Yeah. You know, also, it's because I landed in L.A. without an apartment. Like, I came to L.A. and I had no place of my own to, like, live in. We were still trying to work out, like, our apartment. And someone opened their home to me. Mm. Um, And I said, like, then that 
once I get my apartment, it was going to be a place where artists were able to crash if they needed yeah. the assistance, if they couldn't afford, um, you know, staying, you know, renting an Airbnb or mm-hmm, hotel mm-hmm. because like I needed that shit. Like right. I saved so much money and I was able to just like get like my feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's what I'm trying to do for other people, especially a Dominicana right. who's out here writing who, like, I see is on, like, on some kind of vibe with me. Like, I was just like, you know, girl, just knock so, on, the, on my door. So, Lorraine, <laughs> while Dangeli was going through an existential crisis, whether she was going <laughs> to cut her hair, do all this, like, reaching out to a homegirl she doesn't barely even know, what was happening for you on your side during um, that time? When I cut my hair? Yeah. Um, You know, I transitioned to natural hair. My mom is a hairstylist, Dominican hairstylist, right. which is like when Elizabeth Acevedo talks about like amnesia through mm-hmm. like the, the straightening of yep. Dominican hair. Like my mom is is the person doing that. She's right? a practitioner. Right. Of that, like. Exactly. Um, and I cannot h- hustle because it's an art, you know, yeah. like, right. it is what it is. Um, but I transitioned like I would say at this point, like eight years ago. And it just got to a point I kept cutting my hair short because like just maintaining curly hair like folks just think it's like oh i walk out the shower and that's it like it's just a process every night it's a process it's just a process so um maintenance right maintenance and i just got to the point where i was like i am wasting so much time on this but more than that like it just got to a point i'm not my hair and i think Mm. even with like this afro latina movement like what makes us black is not just our yep. our hair is not yep. not our ebras like you know what i'm saying for me it became it became that it became like just the maintenance it became like a bunch of shit so um i was like i'm gonna go home and when i get home i'm gonna just straighten it one last time to see how i feel mm. i hadn't straightened my hair in years <laughs> and then i straightened it i was like don't really care about this hair anymore. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I just like had my dad cut it off. And as he's cutting it off, I'm having this like conversation around like femininity with him because my dad is a very like the woman se tiene que ver like presentable. Like, tú sabes, para traer cualquier cosa, hombre, dinero, luck. You know what I'm saying? It's the attracting force. Yeah, so as he's having this conversation with me, he's cutting my hair, but as he's doing it, it's like, even today, like, he's the first one now who would be, like, accepting of my sh- of whatever I do to my hair. He's just mm. like, you are who you are, and, like, you're going to bring whatever needs to come to you regardless. Mm. So it was, like, a freeing moment even for my parents, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Um, That's beautiful. Yeah, well, I want to tap into something very important that you said. I feel like, for me, uh, going natural was very important because I learned how to... Uh, step into uh, what it meant to be Afro-descendant uh, through embracing my hair. But at some point, once I, like, relearned what hair meant um, and once I was comfortable with my curly hair, it became something that, like, I no longer needed to do as means of resistance. It was just, like, the resistant part was, like, transitioning and loving it. And now I can do whatever I want with my hair because right. it's no longer about, like, it's no longer about uh, me not feeling comfortable with my curly hair. Now I feel comfortable with my curly hair and I can straighten my hair and I can cut my hair. Um, right. And it won't mean that I feel any less, quote unquote, um, connected 
to my African ancestry. So mm-hmm. it's like almost like a transition. You go through this yeah. period of like, I'm going to wear my curly hair. I'm going to wear like, you know, my Afro hair because, you know, it's part of who I am, my ancestors. And then you move on and you're like, I could do what the fuck I want with my hair because like, I'm a liberated ass person. Right. Mm. And right. I get the choice. It's no longer about like proving something to yourself. Exactly. You know? So I connect to that. So, so I, I'm still not cutting it yet because, you know, I feel like I want to do so much more. <laughs> yeah, I want hairstyles. I think that's what it is. I want to yeah. start playing with like hairstyles and stuff. So yeah. I, I, one day I'm going to cut it. It wasn't, well, me, when I was growing up, like I have, I mean, I have really curly hair, but right now it's bald. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a totally different story. Yeah, but um, when I was growing up, like I, the reason why I really wanted to have my curly hair was because my mom has curly hair. So that was like a thing of like me connecting to her. Mm-hmm. But nobody in my family ever got a chance to, like, grow out their hair, like, to have, like, curls just kind of hang down. Like, and so I, my mom, it was, like, a thing that her and I had. Like, we would go to the store and buy, like, products together because we would, like, share those products. Um, and my mom would, like, style help to, like, you know, get the nice curl, like, you know, locked in. Uh, and I remember one time, it was, like, two and a half years ago. Uh, no, it's, like, almost three years ago where I went to, to this retreat. And and here I am, like I'm not my hair vibes. I was like, I was going through a really, really difficult time. So <laughs> I decided to chop off all of my hair. And my mom was pissed. Because she had grown into a relationship with me through my hair, mm-hmm. through how we treated each other, how we talked about our hair. So she was she was upset. But um when I came home just like bald, uh, took out the whole beard, everything, and then went on this like Buddhist retreat. She's like, Ay Dios mío. <laughs> He's going to be this Buddhist-ass kid coming back, like, I don't know how. Pelado. Todo pelado, right? So it's it's really interesting how hair in and of itself has culture, um, stories, relationships, right? And then right. Th- even the idea that I could just let go of a thing that I own yeah. can affect other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one thing, right, that I really... I don't know. I feel like I admire from the beginning. It's like when we actually met in person, because this whole time we just had like a like a relationship on Instagram. Um, when we met in person, yo, we sat down. We went first of all. We saw Issa Rae the first time we met. Yeah, Wait, what? About that. Yeah, yeah, that girl, was already you like know, hilltop on Inglewood, girl. Mm-hmm. I literally pull up into the parking lot. I'm like gonna pick okay. her up, and she comes out. And she's like, "Girl, Issa Rae is in the coffee shop." And she's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Issa Rae." <laughs> It's in the coffee shop. Bitch. I, I thought it was a typo. She texted it to me. I was like, "Oh, it's a typo." She probably meant like, "I'm a, I'm here," like right. you know, or like she maybe saw it and insecure. No, like Easter Ray was sitting waiting for her coffee to come out, chilling, like, chilling with her man. By the way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we saw her man, and and I'm like, "Girl, I want to go see her." So we go back from the parking lot, walk into the coffee wanna... shop again. <laughs> And then, and then Lorraine is like, I want to say something, but like, I'm going to be such a dork. And I'm oh like, girl, no. I want to say something too. We went up to her homegirl. You know how you see her like on insecure, just like awkward I'm and chilling, unbothered as, as fuck. That's right. her in That's real life. Her like, in real life. Like, yeah. And meanwhile, here's these two mujeres coming up to her fan straight girl. up fan girl, fan girl in Yo, front of Bronx. Yes, like, I literally looked at her and I was like, I'm from New York and we really don't fuck with celebrity. Like we, <laughs> yeah, we, she see said that, cel- yeah. we see a celebrity walking by and we're like on the, on the trains. We're like, yeah. what right. the yeah. fuck? But I'm like, but honestly, like, I just want to say hi. Like, and she was like, hi. This was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, hi. And I was 
like, and then me fangirling, you know me. I was like, I don't, I, I don't even know what to say right now. She's like, well, you know, I'm just out here. <laughs> right. She literally, literally. And then we're like, well, okay. Um, and then we wait for a coffee that, by the way, I really didn't need. I just needed an excuse to be there. Yeah. And right, then we right. leave. Well, she leaves before us, and like we just hear her walking away with her man, and we're like. First of all, we're corny. And right. Yeah, exactly. And I then, felt like the biggest cornball in the world. I'm going to just be honest. Yeah. And then second of all, <laughs> like, you know what? I didn't even care because it's Issa. So right. this was definitely a moment that helped to cement, what, a 10-hour long-ass conversation, exactly. let me guess? Yeah. And then <laughs> we, from there and oh, on, geez. we just, like, went, all, you know, went ahead and, like, just spoke for hours about, like, what it meant to be, like, mm. you know, just, like, Afro-Latina discourse, but also, like, something that we kept going back to is like the Afro-Latina experience here in the West Coast, right? Yeah. Um, Lorraine, you lived for like, what, two years? Yeah. In, was the Bay? In Where? the Bay. I taught in San Francisco and I lived in Oakland. Mm. Okay. And what were you doing there? Um, honestly, I have been teaching at this point for about, this would have been my seventh year in the classroom. I'm obviously taking a break now and we can get that into that later if anything, <laughs> but, um, I went to San Francisco to teach because I am super interested in working in integrated settings where, like, um, you know, Latinos, black kids, and white kids are in the same space. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, you know what? I've worked in enough schools in New York. I want to kind of go to the other side of the country and kind of experience what it's like over there Mm -hmm. um, in these spaces. So I did. Um, And... See, I'm always really curious about that. I'm always really curious (laughs) about that because whenever I think about someone, because this is now a migration. This is a movement of a person from their lifestyle, from their culture, from their upbringing, Mm -hmm. from their roots, from their food, their music, everything. So when, when we make a move like that, I think sometimes we underestimate like and undervalue the idea of that move. Mm-hmm. So what was it for you that was calling? I just needed to be a, I'm now in retrospect I can look back at that time and understand that I needed to be away from everything you mentioned, right? I was mm-hmm. overly saturated by my culture, by New York culture, by Dominican culture, by like my family ambiance. Like I was just overly saturated by that. And I needed to move away. I did not know that at the moment. At the moment, I was like, I'm leaving literally for career purposes. Got it. Um, Got it. But in ret- like looking back at it now, I'm like, nah, this was like a, this was like a, a journey for myself, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because Danjeli has talked about this too yeah. on the show, that her move was very much about rebelling and very much about pushing away, moving away from things that were so comfortable. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I always thought that to be really interesting and to sort of get us a little bit closer to to now to really talking about this incredible book that um, we are so excited to to feature here on the podcast. But there's there's conversations about um, migrations and immigrations on the book. And so I kind of want to get into that a little bit because I'm a fangirl of <laughs> of all stories um, about the movement. Um yeah. Of people. So, I mean, for me, uh, we, we have similar stories, right? Where, like, I I just needed, again, to to confront uncomfortability. 
um, because I was so comfortable in, in, in New York, right? And I wanted also to experience what things would be like in the West Coast. Um, and I think it just came from this curiosity of experiences being a uh, 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 curiosity of an experience of being like a black Latina somewhere outside of like my culture mm-hmm. um, where Af- Latinidad is so like it, it's, it's such a big part of, of, of the way that we're raised. Right. Um, there's actually I, I recorded a podcast with Brown Basic Nerds um, and it, it's it's me when I had just announced that I was moving to L.A. And I'm like, I'm just. I'm just so curious about what it's going to be like to be a black Latina in the West Coast, right? And to, like, migrate into that and go into that. Um, girl, <laughs> I just <laughs> I just feel like looking hmm. back at that girl and, like, all the uh, all the warnings that, like, I, I received, I'm just like, I want to go back and be like, girl, let's sit down. <laughs> let's prepare you. Right. Um, but I'm fascinated with this idea that, like, you know, Dominican Republic was my home mm-hmm. most of my childhood. And then I moved to New York and then I I, I was uprooted from home. Right. And then it, it came down to like me uprooting the place that I was forced to make home. Mm-hmm. Right. Did you ever feel like you were uprooting your home to migrate somewhere else? Or did that ever like that? Was that ever a factor? I'm not going to say um Clearly, I have birth privilege. Like, I was born in the U.S. Like, I was born and raised mm-hmm. in, in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like when I moved to to the West Coast from the Bronx, it was very much like, I'm safe. Like, the Bronx is always going to be there. Like, my family is always going to be in the Bronx. And if it does not work out, I always can come back. Like, if I don't like the way it is. So it yeah. it didn't necessarily feel like an uprooting. It felt like... It felt like literally you're going to have to redo, like you're going to have to remake a house, remake mm-hmm. yeah. your home, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Home is something you can create anywhere, um, which it's a lie, but that, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. my mind, right? I yeah. was like, home is something you can create anywhere. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out, you have your real home in mm-hmm. the Bronx and you'll be back. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if it's, you know, b- basically what I'm trying to get at is like our birth. Our birth differences, I feel like okay, that's why l- like make a difference in what you felt moving here. Okay, and, like, okay, I, I don't know if that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense because like yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so one thing that I wanted to ask you, right? How was your experience when you moved? Um, well, it was first of all like I was on, I was basically working. I was a teacher, so I was working a lot. Um, but as it comes with like other adults. It was like a really big culture shock for me to realize like there's really no visible Afro Latinos. Like even in my student population, there were like Afro Guatemalans and mm-hmm. like Afro Mexicans and and kids who like clearly navigate the world as black kids with Latino culture. Um pero they didn't have the language to express that mm. even though kids were calling each other names mm. like kids will call them like negro or like you know like yeah, mm-hmm. the, the tension was there but it seemed like the language to explain or express like what was going on between these kids wasn't there necessarily so i walked into the space um and i think i told you Danieli, like as an afro latina i never feel like i need to make connections with latinos first because I have never felt entirely safe 
with Latinos. My, my, like, my gut, my heart, my intuition is always to make connections with black women because, or, or black femmes, because those are the folks who make me feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and who, like from, like from when I was in elementary school, like my best friend was black. Like I've always felt like this is my safe space um, versus like with Latinos. Yes, I would make friends with them, but poking fun would be a thing. Um, bullying would be a thing. Um, making me feel as if I was different would like was prevalent, you know? And, and, and you mean this like in your childhood, like in New York too? Yeah, in my childhood in New York and like in DR as well. Like, so... When I went to the to the East, I mean, sorry, the West Coast, like my best friend, my closest friend was this woman, this femme, this queer black woman called Belinda. Mm-hmm. Um, and right away, she basically like laid down the culture of what was happening in the school amongst adults. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, there were a bunch of brown educators, which I think is really dope out here where like a lot of the educators are brown folks. Right. We don't really see that in New York. No, no, we don't. We it's don't the have, white folks teaching it, it's y'all. Yes, folks. it's yeah. white yeah. folks. Um, Even in the hood, in the Bronx. Yeah, so that was really lovely. But then I started realizing that brown folks had like this sense of like loyalty like to themselves like i don't i can't even express it like even mm. it would be like little things like the way i speak was like frowned upon like motherfuckers wouldn't understand me you mean mm. in spanish in spanish yeah or like clearly i had a more like natural connection with the black educators in the space so while I still mingled and t- like I have good friends who are uh, Mexican and um, Salvadorian in the Bay, but it was like some shit problem. Sometimes problematic shit would be said, and I'm like, "You're co- like, like, oh, how was your day? Oh, all these crazy kids." And I'm like, "What crazy kids?" And they would like start naming mm. them, and I'm like, "All those kids are black. All the black oh, kids, yeah." Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you, it was like pr- little problematic things like that that I'd be like, "Oh shit!" Like I'm, I fuck with you, but I don't fuck fuck with you. You know what mm. I'm saying? Because our <laughs> values and our lo- that's a very New York saying. <laughs> like our values and our are not the same. Like, yes, I can be having some trouble with black kids, but. I'm not going to sit here and call them crazy, like, my crazy kids. Like, why? Why would I do that? Mm. I'm curious, Ernesto, because, yeah. like, you um, you migrated from Mexico, mm-hmm. right? And then you moved, you lived in Long Beach most mm-hmm. of your life, and then you moved to L.A., and then you're currently in L.A. When you were, when you moved. Yeah. Well, we actually spoke about this. Like, you never saw black people on TV mm-hmm. or black people at all till like, you came to the yeah. to the West Coast. I mean, actually, to the U.S. Right. West Coast. Um, <laughs> and what was your experience when you came in? Um, like, did you, ha, do you, can you recall like being around Afro Latinos at all? Like, well, yeah, um, yes, yes, and no. I remember, um, and um, when I was eight years old, I I moved to the states. Like, I I always tell people that I walked to the United States because it really was that's what we did. Like, we walked here. Um, and so when I when I got here. Um, yeah, this is true. Like in Mexico, in my little town where I live, there wasn't like other folks who had um, a, a darker, darker complexion. There wasn't any Asian folks. There wasn't no such thing as white people. Like we just knew as white people, as Americans, like mm-hmm. if there was ever any person that looked lighter than us, it was because they either knew English and they uh, they came from the States. And it was a, 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 
an association based on class because in Mexico, it's very much about like classism. So when I arrived to the U.S., I remember the first time I ever saw my first quote unquote like black person. Um, we got out of a car at a Ralph's parking lot and coming out of from the store was this this black young man who was carrying his grocery bags. And I just remember just looking at him and and just complete curiosity, like, oh, my God, like there's people that look completely different than me. Um, and interestingly enough, he had like blondish, curly hair and then like light green eyes. So I'm thinking like this black man with light green eyes and like blonde hair, I was like completely blown away. And then right behind him was this like elder, like Asian woman with her little grocery cart. So here I am, right? An eight year old kid sitting in the car the first time in the U.S. seeing all these people just walking out of a store like something is different. Um, So that was my first realization of how like. I needed to confront um, first race and then racism because racism happened after I began to first be racialized, right? Begin to see the differences between me and other people. So in my hood on the west side of Long Beach, it was black, African-American, black and Latinos. And so I never got a chance to, to see here of other black people um, who could speak Spanish. And it wasn't like, just literally by the sheer connectivity to people, like they just weren't available. The only time that I remember them being available was on these like hot ass mess, racist ass like programs on Saturday, right? On Univision and shit that like portray people who speak Spanish as like, you know, some kind of caricatures. And that's the only time. And so I kind of think about this too, like, if there isn't a connection between people, I think about, for example, my mom, like she would never have an opportunity to go to college. She never had the opportunity to get out of her neighborhood. So como? how was she going to do it? But nevertheless, that doesn't give those folks the opportunities to not be racist. And they could always be confronted with the idea like, mom, that was some racist that shit you just said. But you know, as an eight-year-old little immigrant kid, I never got a chance to see that. But you know something interesting that you just said, and I don't think you caught it, um, was you said that Mexico was so much so much about classism. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, me, when I came into... The thing is, I didn't identify... I migrated when I was eight. I did not identify as Latina when I was eight. That's not a thing in the DR. No, like, oh, I'm, I'm a Latina. Cause right, like, like what everyone, is that? Yeah, everyone's just like... We're Dominican, Dominican. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and then upon migrating, I identified a lot with Latinidad. But the reason why I identified was because it, it separated me from blackness. And that's just my experience. Right. Like, I was able to, like, hold on to Latinidad in a way that I was almost desperate because, like, it it, it was the way that I could deny when uh, when other black kids called me black. Right. Um. So for me, it, it, it you know... I became racialized, quote unquote, right? Because we're always racialized. When I migrated, and that's when I started seeing that there was such a thing as race. Yeah. But the thing is, in, in a more Latin American perspective, right? Um, when you said uh, Mexico, you know, is more about classism, I don't agree with that. And it's because in Latin mm-hmm. America, black folks don't see themselves on TV. But when we see Mexicans, we see white Mexicans. Right. Right. So Mexico is pretty much about about race 
is just I mean, blanketed. Not just Mexico. I mean, you see anything All everywhere. Like All Latin Let's be yeah. honest. Even like, honestly, even like Dominican movies. I think motherfuckers just started yeah. adding like black, yeah. black folks to movies. And it's like, oh, because now these people have some sort of like social media power. Yeah. So now yeah. you're adding yeah. them to your movies. Okay. Right. And, 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 and something that I've noticed about Dominican media as well, and this is like off topic, right, is that usually the, the darker skinned people, like dark people, that are on 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 movies, they're comedians. Comedians, they can right? just be funny. Right. They could just be funny. It's almost like this caricature of like what blackness is in the DR. Right. But the white folks, the white Dominicans, they be out here getting the the emotional um, roles. You know, uh, you know, multi dimensional. That word, multi dimensional, like mm-hmm. char- characters, right? Yeah. Well, like black folks are like they're funny. Right. Yeah, and and I'm actually glad that you caught that, uh, Danjeli, because. It, through the experience of an eight-year-old, yeah, through right. the experience exactly. of an eight-year-old like Mexican kid, I saw classism. Now exactly. I recognize exactly that's where I was yeah. getting at. Where like um, so many like Mexican folks, especially lighter-skinned Mexicans, navigate the world in a way that allows them to think that in Latin America. Um, you know, there's no such thing as like a racial divide. Yeah. And no. that's when you get all the Latinos who need the bullshit when they migrate. Right. Of like, we're all Latinos. Don't divide us. Like, where you know we we shouldn't be having this conversation about black and black, like versus brown Latinos because like they've they've been privileged you know to navigate their Latin Americanidad mm-hmm. in a very like unracialized matter yeah. and it's because they're they're not black yeah no it it it, it absolutely know? is true and then even and so I was speaking to Jennifer about the Jennifer the homegirl that we had an event with she was out here calling out Azaldua she's like I don't fuck with her right. <laughs> Uh, Jennifer, oh, so like, I don't fuck with Anzaldúa, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, girl, why?" Because like the way that I came into feminism and like was through her and Latinidad was like through Anzaldúa. That was like mm-hmm. ethnicity one one in college. Um, and then she she was like pointing out Jennifer was pointing out how like the erasure of Black Latinos and Anzaldúa's work is ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. So then I think about like right moving to the West Coast and us coming with our Black ass selves, right? experiencing what it's like for Afro-Latinos to not even be like a thought in academia, in conversation, in workspace. Really? Yeah. I mean, like, even with, like, even the conversations about gentrification in the West, anywhere, the conversation about, um, about gentrification, it's always so black and white, especially in the Bay Area. Like, we're not considering, like, ethnicity at all. It's always like, oh, black people are being pushed out, um, which is fucking true. San Francisco is crazy white, yo. Yo, it... It's I not, gotta go visit. No, it's, it's intense. It's, it's, it's bad. Like, yeah. I would literally go teach and move my ass right back to Oakland. Like, but anyways, like, in these conversations, it's always so, like, black and white. And I don't know. I guess that's a global problem, period. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I just felt very, like, othered um, by Latinos in the West Coast. Like, I felt, like, one, like, it started with, like, language. Like, you just couldn't understand me. Like, students, like, who I was, like, translating for, parents who In I would Spanish, be right? trying to translate for. Right. Trying to clean up my Spanish. They could clean up, right? So that, they, that I could do it. Like, I, I will never forget. We were doing a presentation. For parents and my homegirl who's Salvadorian 
is a DI dual immersion teacher, and she was tired of translating, so I took over for her to help her out. Parents were looking at me like I was fucking nuts. Like, they couldn't understand. <laughs> like, where's the other translator, right? right? Like, they couldn't understand nothing <laughs> I was saying. Mind you, there will be mad white educators who will talk in their Spanish. Mm. Do, oh, do, oh, that's a good point. Do, do, no lo quiero oh, llamar. Oh, about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, get them. So it started with things like that. And then, like. I never thought about that. Wow, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, yeah, that's. I'm sorry, but I just, I'm mind blown now because I'm thinking about, like, all the ways in which, like, Latinos try to, like, be cute about, like, when white people are speaking Spanish. And they're like, oh, you know, it's okay. We understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But when, like, Dominicans speak Spanish, just suddenly, like, you're you're uneducated. Yeah. <gasps> or Caribbeans. And, and then it's like, but you listen to all this fucking trap Latino that's by white <laughs> Traperos tell me. Who tell should me. be trapeando. Tell me. Uh, yeah. Tell me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then like, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. understand them in their accents, but you can't understand me in real life. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. We, we, um, I, I had the absolute pleasure to see you, Lorraine, and Angeli, um, do an event, um, which was, I think, the first leg of, of your book tour. Is that right? Yes. So it's so dope to 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 show up in a very, by the way, um, I think it was in Highland Park. So it was like this place that is going through a lot of gentrification processes, and to have this um, the store owner like hold down that corner, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and then bring down two amazing like poets writers um, into a space that's very um, uh, Latino in the sense of Mexicanidad, right? So right. it's a very much like Mexican culture type things. But here you are, you you come through, and then you bring your community with. And Girl. I just thought it was such an incredible experience to see both of you really bring your culture, your language, your your vibes, your way of being into that space and completely own it. Tell me how you felt. I felt so good from the moment we walked in. I was just like, yo, because I'm going to be honest. Like, I saw the shop maybe online and on, tw- on Instagram. I was like, yo, this is mad Chicano. Mm-hmm. Like, how, like, you yeah. know, like yeah. how I'm going to feel. But, yo, honestly, shout out to Noelle because, yo, her space. Yeah. That is how you create space for people who have nothing to do with you. Girl. Right. Like, yep. that is what you do. Like, first of all, she made it hella accessible for us. Like, mad accessible. Like, we were in there. Mm-hmm. And two, like, she just, she didn't have to do that for us. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And I feel like there are people who don't even try at all to make space. But she did. And, like, um, she did it in a way that, like, I don't feel like I owe her nothing. It was like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, alguna vez la gente hace cosas para ti. And you're like, oh, shit, I owe them. And it's like, no, I'm creating space for you because... It's what's right, and I feel like it, and I have the access and privilege to it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Anyways, but I felt so good. I felt great. Um, and then to see like Dominicans show up and be like, Girl. "Yo, we've been waiting for like events like this, where you know we're not just having a cookout, we're not just like you a know brunch. a brunch. We're like talking about shit that we're not." really used to talking about on this coast you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying and Mm -hmm. um it felt so good to just have to be affirmed in that way and you know something that i really really loved is that it was you jen and i right like afro latinas as fuck like afro dominicans like coming in and saying like yo we need help Mm -hmm. and seeing like 
Mexican folks like Chicanas, uh, Chicanex, um, come through in that way and hold community. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is how you do it, right? There's no competition of like, um, you know, if, if you're here, you're going to take away from, from the space, right? Or you're going to walk away um, in a way that's like what you said, like owing someone something. But it was literally a partnership. And it was all, in, in, in a way, shout out to, like, Iris, mm-hmm. um, who, like, came through, helped us with the OD, flyers, helped OD. us to get the space um, set up um, for us in a way that, like, we never even envisioned that it was going to be so amazing. Right. Um, and then also reaching out to other, like, to Dominican women here and them saying, we're going to we're gonna get people out there. Yeah. Right. Um, and shout out to Vanessa from Dominicans in Cali because I literally hit her up and I'm like, girl, I'm anxious. And I was telling Ernesto this. Ernesto kept checking in on me in the weeks that we were planning the event. He's like, how are you feeling? I was like, girl, I don't, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> I'm anxious. I don't know how I'm doing this. And then reaching out to our community and letting them know like, hey, we need people to come out. And not just to come out to like, so that we can have a successful event, but to come out and hear us out and say like, this is the, the first of many to come. Right. And then when we walked in, there was like a few people there. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes later, so full house. Yeah. 10 minutes later, people didn't fit. Right. And it was predominantly a Dominican audience. Yeah. That was when I was like, yo, our community is out here. Is out here. And we underestimated how willing we are to show up for each other. And then when I looked around, I saw this shop um, that sells like predominantly like chicken necks, Chicano, um, Chicana, like merch. While in the center of it were like, a bunch of Dominicans mm-hmm. listening and paying attention. And then a few folks from the audience who like listened to the podcast who were not Dominican at all and then showed up. Right. It was like beautiful to see and also an affirmation that this is something that is needed. Um, and that like these are conversations that deserve to be told. Right. And I think like I think we mentioned this at the event, but even just like I think there's like this this conversation should be so much longer, but I think sort of like the tension between like um, black Latinas who are like out about it and, and Latinas who have tension around like giving space is like this feeling of being threatened, you know, like you somehow feel threatened by my presence or like Dominicans have such like a Dominican women have such a in your face vibe. Yeah, or like somos tan leona that you feel like we're out here trying to take up your space, but it's like nastis. Like I'm trying to be with you. I'm trying to work with you. I want. I want to be in community with you. It's just you feel threatened by me in the same way that white women feel threatened by that's black American women or Latina women or whatever. Like you feel threatened by me. It's the same feeling. And on some real shit, it's like my need for sisterhood is so big that like I'm willing to like argue this out with you but I want you to be on my side exactly it sucks it sucks to say that and I think when so many Latinas get upset about this it's like yo you don't see my needs I want to be in community with you but at this point I'm angry that you have not made space for me it's so easy it's as easy as like giving me access to the shit that you've gotten be- yeah. you've gotten because of your skin privilege or your connections or whatever the fuck. I mean, we spoke about this before, yeah. and, and that's definitely a feeling that I felt coming in. Um, I, I feel like I came in to the West Coast kind of like 
with this maybe i was being naive but also with this sense of like um like the latinx community will hold me down um like the latinx fam community will hold me down and i feel like what i what i got when i came was like on that and we can be like very like um blunt about this but like on that like phony la shit Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but, like, I feel like in New York, like, if you don't fuck with someone, it'll be out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, here in L.A., I felt a lot of pushback. Um, And David said this. David was like, girl, they not ready for you, sis. Mm. Um, But it's something that I felt that it's not not just on the the superficial aspect of it, but it's on this deeper history of, like, a black woman coming into a space where, um, where she, you know, her community is not surrounding her. And receiving that pushback. And I think, like, yo, the body remembers. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of conversations about remember, like, the strength of our ancestors. But we also got to realize that, like, we also got some white in it. Mm-hmm. We got that, like, that, like, sense of, like, protectiveness of, of our privilege that needs to be recognized and unlearned mm-hmm. in a way that many Latinos, like, Latinx folks here, like, they need to embrace the fact that there are some aspects of themselves that, like, really hold on to that like latinx light skin privilege to the point that they feel threatened when a, a dominican woman comes into their workspace into their event um into their in, you know into their ex, you know just community. into the, into their community right and i think that is so important to have your book out especially in these times because it allows folks to have access to the shit that we go through and the shit that in our communities are so unspoken and unheard of because once we start having those conversations within ourselves, that's when they start um, expanding outside of our community and start just slaying through what Latinx, Latinidad is supposed to be. So speaking of a black woman coming through, <laughs> making space, now here you are, an author of Malcriada and Other Stories, your first published book. You started out this tour in the West Coast, making space in this mm-hmm. Latinx space in the center of L.A. And this is such a, an incredible book that I want to get into it. And I want to share if I can. Is that OK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the book is called Malcriada and Other Stories. And there's a piece that just says Malcriada, poorly raised, raised badly. This collection of short stories is an intimate entryway into a series of characters that have been poorly raised, handed the shorter end of the stick, but still managed to hang on to something. Sisterhood, art, love, faith, social mobility, pleasure, self-healing to just make it through. So bear with me. The wounds must be examined to get the cure. Palante. What made you write this book? I fictionalize my experiences as they are happening in order to overcome whatever te- whatever tensions I feel. Um, and I weaved these stories together from different like times in my life. So there are some stories that I wrote seven years ago, some stories mm-hmm. in there that I wrote literally a year ago. Um, but specifically, like, the first story in the collection, Malcriada, um, I wrote that at Hasta Muerte Coffee in Oakland. And it was the first coffee shop that I walked into. And I felt, I'm stealing from your words, I felt brave enough. Mm. Instead of safe enough, I felt mm-hmm. brave enough to write that. I felt like I was inside a space that, like, 
have pushed away being policed, have pushed away like being racist as fuck. Like they've pushed away all these things to make a little corner in Oakland where motherfuckers feel safe. So like yeah. I felt safe enough to write this story. Um, I just felt like this collection of short stories. I'm such a I'm such a big reader. You gotta be a good reader to be a good writer. Yes. Mm-hmm. And no matter what, I feel like I just did not find characters who were doing real, real Bronx Dominican shit, real Bronx shit. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, like fictions around like Latina and black sex workers and like bottle service girls mm-hmm. and like, you know, oh, like girls who just yes. keep falling for fuck boys. Like, mm. you know, I feel like we talk about it in our communities, but I haven't read those stories. And I feel like if I keep, I felt like if I kept waiting, it was going to be like my, the next generation was going to have those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be able to like read those stories then. But I was like, nah, I'm going to write these shits mm-hmm. right now. Like, uh, you know. Um, so you start out with, you start out your book with, the story called Malcriada, right? Right. So this this young woman, um, from what I remember he, uh, reading, is this young little girl is starts off with her mom, a conversation with her mom and her relationship with her mom, but then also with her grandmother. Uh, and then mom leaves, mm-hmm. goes to, to, to New York, and leaves her behind with grandmother. So in that, even just that trio of, mm-hmm. of three women having these relationships with each other, it was complex. Um, a little bit like uh, tough, right? There was like a lot of tough love that was given. Where did you get that sort of um, content or connection? Like, who is this trio of women that you wrote about? On like a superficial level, I want to say it's like my mom, my grandma, and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously have never, Im- like, I didn't, immigrate from the Dominican Republic. I was born here, like I said, but I, in my community, my family, I saw so much of, like, cousins who who are now living in Spain where, like, mom left them for years, like, for 10 years back in the DR with grandmas who weren't in that space to raise them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt compelled to, like, write that story. And, like, to be honest... There's such a complicated relationship between women in the Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. in our in my own family, because, because some of us, especially from this generation, we are trying to move forward, do all these things. And like our grandmas are just like scared shitless about like what our mouths could do to us in this environment or mm-hmm. like what being outspoken and free or like liberated looks like in the context of like the US right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and the DR as well so um i felt like compelled to to write this trio because i haven't seen like generationally a relationship like that being written from the point of from the perspective of like my mom loves me so much she is scared you know like Mm. she is scared of anything like she's scared of anything happening to me because of the way she raised me yeah um oh girl wow yeah and i feel like i you know what Mm -hmm. no i kind of see that a lot in soledad by um Mm -hmm. by angie cruz right i saw that um 
But there is something in like, I haven't thought about this too much, man. Mm -hmm. You bring in good questions. Yeah. Like there is something in like that relationship within women in our in our culture that I feel is like interesting to look because at. Because the like as I was reading it, um, I was reminded of um like, you know, you, you, you sort of hear the mother speak and then the little girl stays behind and then the grandmother sort of comes in and just swoops it up, mm -hmm. right? Right away. Um, and then you hear the perspective then of the little girl who is growing up mm -hmm. as mom is in New York. And then um, she comes to a realization, um, really through a revelation of her grandmother. Um, tell us what that revelation is. <laughs> because the girl's spoilers. name. Spoilers. <laughs> but the book is called Malcriada. So All how right. about we start with that? What does Malcriada mean? Malcriada it's just a nickname that is given to literally to this at this point in my life i still hear kids being called that by elders um where it's just like malcriada truly to english translate as poorly raised or yeah. raised, mm -hmm. raised badly um so it's something that you call girls specifically who are like who speak back mm -hmm. who um who se sientan con la pierna abierta who like wear whatever they want who who like girls who are experiencing freedom mm -hmm. in a way that I feel like past generations didn't. But you know what? That nickname is my mom says that she used to be called that, you know, in mm -hmm. the in the eighties and seventies and shit. So like it's been a nickname given to girls and not just in the community Dominican community, like in Latino culture, period. Yeah. And I think about that name so much. I'm like, damn, who gave us that name? Because that's a hell of a thing to call to call your your, your child girl, from like toddler right um all the way to like adulthood right like I am raising you badly so something that my mom actually told me in the past was like she would after I moved to LA she's like she's going malcriada all my life to be honest um <laughs> and something that she she said when I moved is like te crié muy independiente demasiado independiente to the point que te crié malcriada um, and she blames herself for the fact that I am an independent, quote-unquote, liberated woman. And I'm like, Mom, that is the best gift you've ever given right. me. Right. So when I was reading Malcriada, I saw myself in her, and also because, like, mm -hmm. I was partly raised by my grandmother when my mom migrated, and then she, like, brought me over. So I was just, girl, I was crying throughout the book, by the way. <laughs> like, I was just, like, crying. So I, I, I love, I love, love, love that it's called Malcriada and other stories because it just taps into... A, 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 a sense of Dominicanidad, but also like just Latin, Latinidad overall. But I, I think it's very specific with us because we have such a specific relationship with with the mothers um, in, in our culture. Mm -hmm. right. I, I mean, Dominican women migrate at a way higher rate than men. They should become like the single parent household mm -hmm. um, when they do migrate. Um, and there's many reasons for that. But malcriada is used at this sense of like, you need to be more passive, something that Dominican right. women historically has not, have not been known for. Yeah. Again, like, tu eres demasiada leona. Like, leona. Right? I love so, that. I love that. Like, I call myself leona all the time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Malcriada also, like, becomes a nickname. And I knew this before I, I wrote that story. But mm -hmm. now that it's, like, out there, I've gotten so many DMs from women who are like yo that was like my nickname and mm -hmm. i was like i can't wait for you to read this story because mm. it's really that this girl does not know her name until she is in the yola my my immigrating from the dominican republic to puerto rico um with strangers um and she finds this letter from her grandma 
um, in which her grandma explains to her why they have given her this name. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, a, it's from this place of fear. Like, I want you to know that I haven't done my best to raise you, and I am scared of what the world mm-hmm. is about to do to yeah. you. Um, yeah. L- Lorraine, I-, I know this is going to be <laughs> a huge spoiler for our readers, but I actually love this 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 little note that grandmother writes mm-hmm. to Malcriada. Would you do us the favor of reading that yeah, note for sure. us? sure. I'll do that. <laughs> All right. So Malcriada is... Wow, I love that this page is folded already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Malcriada is on the Yola, and um, she wakes up after having this intense conversation with Miguel, the Yolero, um, and... She wakes up and she's hungry, so she goes into her book bag that her grandmother swindled, and she finds this letter, and it says, Mija, si algún día encuentras la fuerza para perdonarme, te pido que lo hagas. La verdad es que yo te he tratado mal, mal porque tengo miedo, miedo porque yo era como tú, llena de ideas y verdad, y por mi sabiduría lo perdí todo. Tú no eres malcriada. Lo que pasa es que tú sabes demasiado. El mundo no es justo, pero es sumamente malo para las niñas que nacen con poder y mucha curiosidad. Tu nombre no es malcriada. Tu nombre es Naomi. Te nombré yo porque tu madre no sabía qué inventarse entre el dolor y la sangre. Toma el nombre y cuando te digan malcriada, sigue directo porque lo que dicen no es para ti. Con Con amor, tu abuela, la malcriada mayor. I'm here crying. <laughs> oh Lord. Okay, so let's just jump into this question because I feel like yo, I'm here at tearing. Um I mean this book has been amazing to me. I told Thank you, you girl. I was just like wait hold up <laughs> I just feel like our stories are so often silent, right? Mm-hmm. And I found my mom and my grandma and my culture in a book. Um so for all the other folks or all the folks that are going to be reading your book, what are some things that you wish um, they will walk away from? They will walk away with after reading it. I think after reading the collection, I want folks to. God, I wish I had like a wand that it's like walk out of trauma. But as someone who goes to therapy and. You know, there's no leaving our trauma behind. But I try to make the collection like a journey. Like, you know, like this girl is Anna Jola discovering these things about herself. And then by the end of the book, we have a story about this woman who has tried her best to self-heal after so much trauma and is trying to cope with something that just triggered her. Mm -hmm. And she finds herself like taking a bath. So it's like there are so many emotions like right it's like the symbol of water and it's like so many emotions that we're dealing with and I just want people to like understand especially Dominican femmes like and Caribbean femmes like our trauma is not is not the end is not the end right like mm. it's it's it sounds so cliche but it's like a journey and it's okay to feel like, yo, these are stories I'm ashamed of. Mm. Like, I'm ashamed of my healing process. Like, there have been points in my healing process where I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, I was trying to cope in such an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel shame that I did those things, you know? But, like, feeling like that is okay. Like, 
I am a human and like I'm experiencing emotions. Like that's my whole purpose. Um, so I literally like wrote this collection feeling like this is like such a dense piece of me that I just want to leave right here, put down on paper so that I can finally start negotiating um, what I look like after after all these like pieces of trauma that have that I've had to navigate really um this reminds me of do you remember when Joanna was Joanna and Amy were on the show and Joanna said something to to the effect of like we always talk about the healing process and like the you kind of give it a kind of magic if you will that like you're healed he's like but no one ever talks about the aftermath like that the aftermath could be just as um, difficult, right? right? Because then you come to a new awareness, a new understanding of, oh my goodness, I actually had some control in this right. through hard work, and now here I am at a totally different place. Is is this it? What's new? Because then probably a new sort of experience um, begins at that right. point, right? right? So that's, um, thank you for that. Um, this this book is is dope. I haven't gotten to read the whole thing because literally the book just came out. <laughs> First of all, it has not even released yet. Right. This is a a, a sneak peek. A yes, sneak peek. It, it is uh, a loose accent exclusive. <laughs> yes. There you go. Um. And so if you know, for those of you who are out here listening, um, and and want to really get this book, please uh, make sure that you do. Lorraine is currently uh, on a tour. Um, doing a couple of events coming through all over the place, and hopefully she'll hit up your local spot to share um, Malcriada and all the other stories that are in this book. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm so excited um, and, about this. I mean, something that we spoke about, right, is also um, introducing this segment into our podcast of La Palabra del Día, right? We share so many palabras mm-hmm. here today, um, but we really want... Um, you know, we want to share in each episode something that will um, that will leave you with something, a quote that you can turn back to, a quote that maybe our guests or us have been dwelling upon that have impacted us in some way, just as a, as a way of reflecting on the episode and on the conversation we've had. So, I mean, we have an author in the house. We have Hello. a writer. She's Ooh-hoo. got words. So <laughs> why not give her the honors of... Introducing us to her Palabra del Día. All right. So my Palabra del Día, I actually said this at the event. Um, it's a quote that I always go back to when I'm, a, I'm feeling like scared of telling my stories or telling stories in a way that will co- feel like an exposure of myself or of people in my family specifically. And it, it is, if you are silent about your pain, they will kill you and say you enjoyed it. And that is by Zora Neale Hurston, who is one of my chosen ancestors. If you don't know who this woman is, um, please do your history, because we all know American schools did not mm-hmm. give us that. Um, but um, that quote is something I hang on to because it's like, I'm going to die anyway. Y'all going to kill me. Whatever way this life takes me is going to take me. And I want to make sure that I am very, very, very expressive of what what I'm going through, of what this body calls me to go through, and like the status of this, like the way our society's set up right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I feel like we can connect right. to that here. I mean, Ernesto is a storyteller, and you always talk about like. 
what is it, seven generations. Yeah. And um, and then me, I mean, I'm a spoken word artist, and that's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to no longer be silent. I mean, I was undocumented, and part of organizing was sharing my story and saying I am here and I deserve to be heard, and you will heal me, hear me, even if you believe I do not deserve to be right. heard. Mm-hmm. Right. So thank you so much. Um, and Ernesto, like maybe you can tell us something about the way about the reason uh, why you started storytelling and how you connect to this quote. Yeah. The the reason why I. I decided to really become outspoken in my own lived experience in this body at this time now was so that I can piss off my mom. (laughs) And it comes from a place of me understanding that my mom's fear of not hearing truths, not wanting to expose how others affect you, Mm -hmm. how others um, enclose you, how systems, how parents, how siblings family members want to keep you controlled that it was her own fear that would always tell me mijo no le digas nada a nadie don't tell this to anybody and and that idea of not speaking out was a couple of things one don't speak about your immigration experience right. your journey it didn't even happen so like que pasó me levanté and i just ended up in another country well okay Let's believe that story. Um, But then also, let's not tell people that we would do such a thing, that we would migrate to save our family, that we would migrate to connect our families together, that we would migrate for the opportunity for a single mother to raise six kids by herself. And so when I really started thinking about that, I said, wait a minute, this needs to be told. Right. Because if mm-hmm. I don't speak about what you did to get us to this country, then I turn the channel and someone else, 20 people are actually speaking about you yes, right. and about me and about my trajectory to get to this place. So I said, ¿Sabes qué, mamá? No, I will speak. I will speak about it as many times as I want. I will change it and add a different feeling to it because it happened And I can't go back into my history of even two generations or three generations ago because my grandmother doesn't have a birth certificate. My grandparents don't have any written story of who they were in this existence. And no, I want to be able to look up seven generations into the future and have those babies look back and say, look at this hot damn mess of a man. My great, great, Mm -hmm. great. You know, Ancestor. right out here acting a fool on this show or writing these stories because because we're here. Right. And we've been that's what I was saying at the event. We've been robbed of even recording our stories. So like when I do this kind of like sinvergüenza shit, which is like literally just telling a story, it's like. I'm like, I'm archiving. I am I am creating resources, documents that. People can, like, my, my folks can use, you know, en un tiempo más, más palante, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's something that black Americans have done so, yeah. so yes. well. And yes. I love it, like, when, like, folks tell me, like, oh, my God, I found, like, these documents. Yes. And I'm just like, damn, that is so beautiful powerful. and powerful. Like, I, I fucking, I wish, and, you know... 
I wish I could have these documents, but we don't. We are a, right. honestly, I can only speak for Dominicans. You know, say Mexicanos, but like Dominicans, like we don't hold on. Like maybe I haven't done enough research, and I know that there is a, a good enough archive out there of like photographs, but like documents, documents of like cuando tú pagaste por por una tierra or like something like that. Like it's so hard, at least for me, to find in my own family. Yeah, yeah. but girl, here you are. Making Doing it happen. You published a compilation of stories, beautiful stories that really archive and document the Dominican experience. Not even in, not just in the island, but also in the US. So thank you so much. And yes. I cannot I am so excited for this book to be finally released and to like end up in the hands of like a beautiful Dominican young girl. That's always what I think about. I'm like right. like the girl that, you know, I once was, like what who would she be had she had access to this? Right. So thank you so much. And for all those folks who are listening, where can they purchase your book? Uh, you can purchase my book on my website. It is Lorraine, L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E, <laughs> Avila, A-V-I-L-A dot com. And we will also include it in the description so that you can go ahead and purchase this amazing book. Thank you so much for being here, thank for being for a sister, me. a friend. And Ernesto. Yes. What's next, babe? <laughs> Listen, what's next is season two is out here burning pages every day. We are lit. We have so many incredible, amazing performances coming through. Thank you to all of you who showed up to our brunch and tell. Like, can't wait to share more pictures about that because it was an incredible experience. And then also, you can continue to follow our trajectory of our second season on Loose Accents. That is our Instagram page. And you could also follow me at UndocuBay. You can follow me at the Making Next Things. And as always, check out the description for all the, you know, guest information. Mm. Um, follow Lorraine's work. And thank you so much for being here, girl. This is an episode, well, episode two. Hello. Of season two. Hello. Of Loose Accents. accents.